I want to thank you and Father Brian for your welcome this morning to Christ Church. My name is Aaron Buttery, and I am excited to be joining Christ Church as a family of faith and one that is sharing the gospel here in Plano, throughout North Texas, and the world. I'm glad to be here and am thankful for Father Paul to give me this opportunity to share the gospel and in some way at least begin to get to know one another, kind of by way of introduction. Earlier this summer, I had the chance to come down, spend a week with many of our students, about 60 of us, to go to the hill country, to enjoy some time at a place called Camp Eagle, and have a week of adventure and worship. And so, using all of the appropriate safety gear, we clipped in and threw ourselves off of cliffs, right? Uh, Jumped off other things, went kayaking, all this other great adventurous type of stuff. And then also entered into the adventure of uh, sharing in scripture, of prayer, and of telling glorious stories and getting to know one another. So even at this early stage, I am excited and confident about what has already been taking place here in the life of young people and in your ministry and the ministry of this whole church. We did just get here, though, as a family. My wife's name is Lindy. I have a son named Isaac and a daughter named Grace. We moved here from Kentucky, but I do have some Texas bona fides. Right? So I just want to lay those out for you. One, my daughter Grace was born in Texas, so we're kind of close. But I am not a native like she is. I I moved around a bunch. My dad was in the army. But my dad and my mom both were born and raised here. And my grandparents were born and raised here. Actually, Texas is like my ancestral homeland. My great-great-great-grandfather broke ground with a mule-drawn plow in West Texas to try to farm cotton. And they were there for generations. So to try to enter into that and to continue understanding who I was as a person, I chose to follow the footsteps of my father. And when it came time for me to go to college, I chose Texas A&M because that's where he... Let's get together later. We'll be friends. (laughs) So I went to A&M, and it's not to say it's the best school. We can talk about that in the narthex later. But I chose to follow his footsteps there. And as many of you know about A&M, that there is this military school component called the Corps of Cadets. And so I joined that and was made it all the way through. And then at the end, your final year, your senior year, kind of what every freshman cadet aspires to, is to wear the boots, these gorgeous riding boots. I don't even like horses that much, but I wanted a pair of riding boots, right? They go from your foot all the way up to your knee. And it's this like symbol of not only having survived, but also being prepared to be a leader and to leave and to to leave that space and to leave that university. And so as I was getting ready for my senior year and excited about my senior boots, I went to the place that made them, a little place called Hollix. And what they do at Hollix is they measure every aspect of your lower leg 
It's kind of strange, actually, right? Everything from your knee to the width of your calf down to toes, it was bizarre. And so when they conclude this measurement, right, the, the gentleman stands up and he goes to this old like, like uh, library card catalog system. Do you remember what these were like? And he pulls it out and pulls up a piece of paper and he goes, you could wear these. They're your dad's. Oh, right? I mean, that's an incredible thing. So I called my dad. We worked it through. They're still his boots. But I was able to wear my dad's boots my senior year. Our, both of our names are stamped into the inside of them. Now, how did that happen, friends? Well, there's a lot of things that contributed. But in the end, at least part of it is our basic genetic makeup. Right, G, T, A, and C, those little proteins that combine our DNA. For however they worked in me, I had enough of my dad that our lower leg was the same. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm actually more okay with it because I love my dad. The guy is an incredible man of God, right? A wonderful husband, father, grandfather, right? I love him. And I hope there are more parts of me than simply my lower leg that are like him. But I'm not completely my dad. Right? I've got some of my mom too and there are ways that I'm like her and she's remarkable. And my son Isaac, hopefully you'll get a chance to meet him. He's a great kid. He and I are alike in some ways but can I tell you one way we're not? Our lower legs. He's never gonna get to wear those boots, but that doesn't mean that there aren't ways that he and I resemble each other. We have some similarities. And it all goes back to that basic genetic code, right? That basic how are we constructed, at least at that level. And in that moment when I realized I was gonna be able to wear my dad's boots, it kind of continued my own understanding of who I was and where I came from, what I was built like, and it invited me to start thinking about what I was built for. I love working with young people, and I've been doing it for 15 years or more now. Students are fascinating, and they're incredible, and they're a joy, and they're crazy, and they get into trouble, and I love all of it. And as much as I like pizza, which after 15 years is remarkable that I still like pizza, and as much as I enjoy the adventure of throwing myself off of things and the fun of getting to know young people and working with them, it's actually these moments that create a movement of maturation that I love the most. Because the adventure of being young, of being a student in that, in that age from say 11 to 18, the adventure there, it's not just about the fact that they can go from goofy to serious, 
that they can go from uh, skipping out on their family vacation like Jesus did and wandering off to then doing the responsible thing after they wandered off because that's what Jesus did. What I love is that they're engaging the primary questions, maybe for the first time, those questions of who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do about it? That engages the the struggle of this whole world around us, pouring things in that we all have to learn how to navigate from social pressures to family pressures to the expectations that we even give ourselves. Friends, this is the adventure of student ministry, is walking with young people as they navigate that, creating spaces and environments and opportunities And when I think about scripture and the way that scripture speaks into all of our lives and to the ministry of the whole and into the ministry with young people, there's a couple things that stand out that help us understand why we do student ministry. Why is this even a thing? And as we look into it, there are a couple examples that maybe are less helpful, like say in 2 Kings, There's this group of, uh, we'll call them vagrant youth. And they chase a prophet around, his name was Elisha, and they start hurling insults at him and maybe even other things, yelling at him uh, weird phrases. Well, he turns around and curses them. And that's not the model of student ministry we're gonna follow. There's another example in scripture. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, the apostle Paul is teaching. And by all accounts, Paul was a phenomenal preacher and teacher, right? He could go toe-to-toe with the best of Athens. And so on this day, he was preaching in an upper room, and he'd been preaching long into the night, and I promise you I'm not gonna do that. Preaching long into the night, so well and in such compelling manner that a young man in the back named Eutychus fell asleep. Fell asleep so soundly that he plummeted out of the third story window. We're not gonna follow that model of student ministry either. We don't wanna lose anyone out the back window. Good news is Eutychus was okay. Paul went and revived him and then continued preaching, hopefully with more gusto. Now, there are a couple of examples that we do wanna follow. And the story in the gospel today from Luke that we have of Jesus gives us a glimpse into the life of a young person to wander off from his family without telling mom or dad. You guys can imagine this, right? It happens to my kids, they just kinda wander off. It happened this morning with my daughter earlier. She just kind of wandered off and was dancing, just didn't tell anybody. But Jesus then moves after that somewhat unorthodox separation from his parents, but he finds himself in the temple. Not only asking great questions, but giving really great answers. That's what young people do. 
That's what students do. But it's from the Apostle Paul that we get perhaps the most comprehensive scriptural basis for student ministry, for why we invest time and effort and money into the lives of young people at this church and at churches around the world. And you heard it this morning in Ephesians 4, that it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then hear it, friends. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This, amen. This is why we have something called student ministry. It's to create the opportunity and to build the necessary relationships that our young men and women would know that they're growing up into something and not being just told to grow up. That they're growing into the very person of Jesus called into the life of Christ. And that doesn't happen in an instant as much as it happens over a life. Right now, you and I, we're still growing up. We are still maturing in the likeness of Jesus. We're still figuring out how we resemble him. Not even so much physically, but in the way of our life and our very being. But young people, at this intersection of their lives where they're determining who they are and understanding why they're here and what they're going to do about it. It's like all of a sudden, all of their genetic code turns on. But there's more than just those four little proteins. There's like a holy genetic code there's this way that we begin to resemble Jesus that is beyond G, T, A, and C. And I think we get it also right here in Ephesians 4. There's a, there's a leader and a thinker and a prayer by the guy by the name of Alan Hirsch, who's been looking at this Ephesians 4 passage for years. And he describes it as the latent intelligence of the church and the Christian. It is the underlying DNA of what it means for you and I to become like Jesus. It's the points that we have of resembling him. And it's right here that we would be apostolic, and prophetic 
and evangelical, that we would be shepherding and that we would be teaching. That our, our kind of holy, our spiritual DNA is that all of us are full of the capacity to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and shepherds and teachers. That's us. We are that people. And in that moment in the life of a young person where the rest of their DNA is turning on and the whole of the world is crashing in and pressures exist that are internal and external, this is the DNA that we wanna say, hey, this is who you are. This is what you are made for. This is why we do student ministry. That young men and women would not only know that they are disciples of Jesus Christ and fully saved by his grace, but that as that, they would be disciples who are spirit-driven leaders expressing the DNA of the whole of church and even Jesus. But to say that without giving a how to do it would somehow be dishonest. Because I believe it to be true that this is why we have student ministry but you can't just walk into Wednesday night and say, hey, you're apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and then walk away and call it done. It doesn't work that way, does it? How do we create spaces where young people would know that in their very being, they're resembling Jesus even more than I resemble my own dad? I think this is how we do it. And it's another story we get from scripture, a great example from 1 Samuel. And you know this story. You know the story of Eli and of Samuel. That Samuel has been given to the church, to Eli to serve, to be raised up. And it says, it says that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there were no visions. Friends, inside here, we know the word is proclaimed and we have a vision of Jesus. But outside these amazing windows, the narrative of the world is not the word of God. And the vision of life is not Jesus. And so we find ourselves in the same time that Eli and Samuel found themselves. We're in the same time, the same space. And so Eli has been raising Samuel. And we find ourselves that, that moment where Samuel is uh, in the middle of the night watching the candle of the Lord, the light of the Lord. 
and caretaking it, making sure that it doesn't go out. At this point, Samuel would have been no more than 13 years of age. Oh, and there's one other key fact here. It tells us in scripture that at this point, Samuel had not yet met the Lord. To put that into Christianese, he didn't know Jesus yet. And so what Eli had done, and follow me here, Eli had invited a 13-year-old who did not believe in the God that he worshiped to watch fire in the holiest place of the land relatively unsupervised. How many of you are gonna put a 13-year-old pagan right up here tonight to play with fire? Nobody. We wouldn't do that. That's crazy. Eli was crazy. Thank goodness Eli was crazy. This is how we know Eli was a youth worker because he was crazy. And he allowed a 13-year-old to watch over fire in the holiest place. And, and on that night, which was so similar to many other nights in Samuel's life, that night, because of the work and the relationship that Eli had put in, Samuel was ready to hear the voice of God. And to begin a life-changing and nation-changing relationship with Yahweh, the Father. Eli, Eli knew what it was like to invite a young man into maturity and to grow up into Jesus. If you looked in your bulletin, you would see under my name that it says student minister. I can't be the only Eli here. I can't be the only one. It just won't work. We need, and I mean we as a family, as Christ Church Plano, and our young people need Eli's. We need men and women who are going to put in the time and the relationship and the general stress sometimes and the incredible joy of meeting young people in that very moment that they're beginning to explore the big questions of life, even as the whole of world, all the world is tossing them to and fro. We need Eli's. I'm here because I think you are that Eli. That's my prayer. Amen.